thank you both so very, very much. Um, anytime you get an introduction like that, it really makes you nervous. It's bad enough already. <laughs> um, I tell you tonight, uh, let me just say first to Bo, as pastor of the church, uh, thank you so much for the invitation to come and, and preach here at Cedar Street. And so many of you I know, and I just thank God for the privilege to be here. Uh, the one that I need to thank is the Lord Jesus Christ for the opportunities that he continues to present to me. And I, I told Bo uh, in our conversations, I'm, I'm just never cease to be amazed at, at what God does. Um, I'm a back row Baptist by heart. I grew up Methodist um, for many years, then met my lovely wife, Tammy, and she was a member at Mount Shady Baptist Church. So what did I do? I had to jump over to the Baptist and uh, because of Tammy. And that's, anyway, long story short, we've been married now 27 years. We went to El Bethel um, for many years. And about, I guess, in 2014, the Lord called me um, to pastor uh, Nunez Baptist Church, and that's where we're at now. Um, just very blessed. Uh, have two children, a uh, son, 22, that's a student at Georgia Southern, Russ. Have my 19-year-old daughter, Zoe, with us. And uh, so I'm just a, I'm a very blessed man. And so just thank you for the privilege uh, tonight. Rusty, you just get better all, all the time. I mean, he is, I can't tell you how many times Rusty has sang uh, before I preached, uh, we've been longtime friends, and he just gets better and better and better. Nehemiah chapter 1, that's where we're going to be tonight. Nehemiah chapter 1, so I'm going to ask you to open up there. And just look forward to, to what the Lord is going to do this week in revival. I, I have prayed diligently about what to preach. And I, I can tell you this, I know you've been praying, because about midweek... I think I got a piece about this revival and these messages as much as I've ever had any in my life. And, and I don't say that lightly. I just, I didn't sweat it. Normally, I, Tammy will tell you, I, I, I panic when things are not all organized and planned out. And, um, and I've just kind of been really laid back this week. And, and I just thank God. And I know that comes through your prayers and your pastor's prayers and, and our family's prayers. And I just thank you for that. But I've, I have one prevailing thought, and that's where we're going to go this week, and that's why I picked Nehemiah. Uh, they're talking about revival. Difference maker or simply indifferent? You choose. That's the theme for the revival this week. Plans are to be in Nehemiah 1 tonight. We're probably going to be in Romans 10 tomorrow night. Probably going to be in the book of Mark, maybe 9 on Tuesday night. And then the book of First Thessalonians on Wednesday night. That, unless the Lord changes and he's subject to do that at any time. But tonight, just thinking about revival and thinking about being a difference maker. Let's look um, at the first chapter of Nehemiah. And it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction, 
and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord uh, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for the privilege, God, and I just pray... God, that you would be high and lifted up. God, let your spirit speak into all of our hearts, God, and just put me behind the cross, God, and and just accomplish your perfect will. God, bless each person that took time to turn aside to be in this place tonight. God, I pray that your word would be imparted hundreds of different ways, and God, may your people hear it and respond according to the direction of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to give you a little background on this passage. Uh, I think probably most of you are familiar with Nehemiah. Uh, if you've been in church any time, you've probably heard a lot of messages preached out of the book of Nehemiah. He was the one that built the wall. And that's typically what we hear. But a lot of people don't know the message of Nehemiah that led up to the building of the wall. To give you a time period, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem in 445 B.C. That was approximately a thousand years after the time of Moses and a little over 400 years before Christ. So that's kind of the time period that he's sandwiched in. It was about 15 years after the book of um, Ezra. And when we look at what was taking place at this time, the Jewish people, the the nation, the, the city of Jerusalem, was just a shell of what it had once been. The people were in distress. You can see the words in Scripture, great affliction and reproach. The temple was destroyed. Uh, The people had been carried away to Babylon many years earlier. And once King Cyrus, uh, the Persian king, at about 538 B.C., released the first people out of captivity to go back. They went back, but, but yet the city was still 
in ruin, a lot of it. The walls, it says, were broken down. The gates were burned with fire. So it was a time in which there was great depression. There was a time that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. But what was interesting as I studied a little bit about this book, you know, the people had been carried away when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and was carried away for the 70 years to Babylon. You know, at that time, they spent 70 years there in captivity. And the Jewish nation, it grew tremendously. And there was approximately 2 million people. And at the time, they were released to come back to their hometown. You know, there was only initially about 50,000 that came out of captivity and came back. So you can do the percentages, and it's very small. You know, they had lived in captivity so long and they had gotten so accustomed to Babylon, they were away, but yet they really didn't have a desire to be back. You know, I think that's what we do a lot of times, that we want to worship the Lord from a distance. Now, this message tonight will probably be the heaviest message that I preach. But I pray that it will, it will open your heart tonight. Because... We're all God's people in here if we're saved. We're all called to a work that's far greater than one person can do by themselves. Jesus Christ gave His life and commissioned us to go into all the world and to share the gospel and to make disciples. That's what He called us to do. So what about Nehemiah? Where are you headed with this preacher? Well, I want to start off tonight by talking about a few things. When you look at the second verse, it talks about this Hanani, which was actually the brother of Nehemiah. And it says that he came, he and certain men of Judah, and he asked, Nehemiah asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped. You know, what is your concern tonight? You know, that I entitled the message, you know, a difference maker or just simply indifference. And I want you to do some soul searching tonight. I want you to ask yourself, you know, which one am I? Because you're one of two people. You're either a difference maker or you're indifferent. Because in some form or fashion, God has a call on your life. The book of Colossians says you were created by God and you were created for God. So that means there's a purpose to each life in this place. Now I realize that that life takes different forms and shapes of what your calling is versus mine. We realize some are called to be pastors, some are called to be teachers, some are called to be moms that, that pour into the life of their kids and their grandkids. So what that shape looks like, I don't know. But I do know this, that God has called you for something specifically, to make a difference in the kingdom. And so tonight, when we look at the first thing I want to talk about tonight is the concern that was on Nehemiah's heart. He was concerned. He expressed concern. He showed genuine words of concern because he asked. Now remember where he was at. He was in the palace. He was some 800 miles away in Shushan, the palace, which we know today is modern-day Iran, that, that territory over there in the Middle East. And so he was in a place of comfort, and, and he was... He was there and probably had a lot of the amenities 
of life for that time. Security, probably a warm bed, plenty of food. After all, he was the king's cupbearer. He was in the presence of the king all the time. He was a man probably of pretty good intellect. He was probably well-dressed. He could go in and out of the presence of the king. So it wasn't just your everyday run-of-the-mill man. This man probably was of pretty good intellectual and probably good appearance as well. You can read Daniel, the first chapter of the fourth verse, I think, and it talks about the ones that were selected to be there in the king's presence. So this, this man, Nehemiah, why would he be concerned about people that are so far away? It's because his heart was there with his people. Even though he was living in a place of comfort, he was concerned. And so he asked. He was a long way away, but he wanted to know what was going on. Now notice that there was his brother and these other men that came. They had asked, or Nehemiah had asked them about the condition. And apparently they had either been there and were just returning, or either they had the latest knowledge on what was going on in Jerusalem. But yet they chose to do nothing. And when you think about that for just a few minutes, it calls into light, which one am I? Am I really concerned? Or am I in a place of comfort and I'm just not doing anything? These men, they told Nehemiah, the condition, when he asked. And why would Nehemiah ask? Well, one, it was a fulfillment of Scripture. If you look at Jeremiah 15, 5, Jeremiah said, For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Nehemiah was God's man. He was Nehemiah called for God's purpose. Where's your heart today? You know, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, we've heard that verse a lot of times. But do we really think about that verse and what it says? You know, the things in this world are going to pass away. And then we're going to stand by the one that we profess as our Lord and our Savior. The one that has commissioned us to a calling because remember, we were created by God and for God. So when we stand before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, and Jesus says, let's give an account. I want everybody to be well prepared for that account. Now, we're all going to have plenty of tears, and we're all going to have a lot of regrets. But what I pray is that, God, I realize that the calling on my life was far greater than anything I imagined. And God, when I realized that, I did something about it, because that's exactly what Nehemiah did. When he heard the word, it moved Nehemiah. I can't move you. You can't move me. But God's Spirit can move all of us. We're talking about revival and we're talking about being difference makers. Which one do you want to be? You choose. God's given us all the same hours and days, minutes. What do we do with it? So you ask, well, how are we doing? 
Me being a banker, I had to get on old Google and pull up some statistics for you. Well, in, from 2013 to 2016, American taxpayers spent $327 billion on drug control efforts. The number of people that admitted to using drugs, it rose from 31.3% in 79 to 48.8% in 2015. That's almost half the population in America has admitted to using illegal drugs. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of statistics, but I really want to get you thinking. Over 11 times more people are in prisons and jails for drug offenses in 2015 than there were in 1980. Teen pregnancies, 24.2% for every 1,000 adolescent females ages 15 to 19. There was almost 250,000 babies born to this group. Nearly 89% of those births occurred outside of marriage. Abortions... Almost a million babies, 926,240 in 2015 alone. Suicide rates was up. 45 to 64-year age men, 19.6% for every 100,000 in population. Less than 20% of Americans now regularly attend church. 17.7% was the actual number. 18% of churchgoers said they never read their Bible. Only 14% said they read their Bible at least once a week. Baptisms down, Southern Baptist Convention, eight years in a row. The last eight out of ten. Southern Baptists lost almost 200,000 members last year alone. What does Matthew say? When the Lord spoke, he said, The harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Now I know those are statistics. And I know those are just some things to really stimulate your mind. But I'm going to get back to Nehemiah in just a minute. But I want you to be thinking about just a few of those statistics. And think about what am I doing if I'm a kingdom builder? Am I really going to make a difference in my life? For the kingdom. If I surrender my life to God, God use me. Am I willing to do that? When we look at Nehemiah, he was a man when he when he heard the words, he was moved. And he did something about it. One more article, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna really dive into the message. You can Google this in the Christian Index, from February 12, 2018. It was a message written, not a message, but a summary of a a sermon by Gerald Harris. Jason Britt is actually the one that preached this at the um, evangelistic conference in Warner Robins this year. And I read this article, and sometimes you read, you know, as a pastor, you read a lot of stuff. But sometimes you read something, and it drives you literally to your knees because you, you really understand the impact. And I want you to listen I'm a very real preacher. And I realize I fall way short of where I want to be and where I need to be. But Jason Britt is a young man that pastors up north of Atlanta. And this is part of his message. And I'll be glad to share it with you after service. But listen, he preached this in Warner Robins this year. These are a few of his comments. He says, We live in a post 
post-Christian society. He says a post-Christian society is not merely a society in which um, agnosticism or atheism is the prevailing fundamental belief. It is a society rooted in history, in culture, and practices of Christianity. But in which the religious beliefs of Christianity have either been rejected or worse, forgotten. Britt stated that some of these changes that have taken place are extremely difficult for church people to accept. But he professed that the Bible does not change because God doesn't change. However, just because the message never changes doesn't mean nothing should change. Now listen, this is what really drove me to my knees this this next little paragraph. Brett declared, Choose to be broken instead of bothered by the state of the world. He says, Bemoaning the state of our culture may very well look like us patting ourselves on the back about being the last good people left. We have to be careful that we don't end up becoming accidental Pharisees. Jesus' arch enemy was not lost people. It was religious people. And this is the key statement that I want you to take away from this. He said, I had to decide whether I was going to be a fisher of men or a keeper of the aquarium. And the whole gist of his message was that the church has become inwardly focused. And he says the natural gravitational pull is for the church to be inwardly focused. But the gospel pull is always, always, always externally focused. So which one are we tonight? Are we fishers of men? Or are we keepers of the aquarium? So tonight, as we look at Nehemiah, the first thing Nehemiah did was he asked. So I went ahead and gave you some answers tonight. When you look at our society today, Less than 20% regularly attend church. Even people that profess to be in church, many of them only read their Bible once a week. 18% of those said that they never read their Bible at all. We look at drugs, we look at alcohol, we look at abortions, we look at any issue that you want to pick. We've got plenty of problems. We don't need to dwell on those. Because the gospel is good news. The gospel is the hope. I don't worry about what goes on in Washington, even though I'm aware of it. I'm disappointed a lot of times at how grown men and women can act. But I understand that there's a lot of lost lost people out there, and God is letting lost people do what lost people do a lot of times. But we have the greatest message in the world. But what are we doing with it? That's the question. So when we look at Nehemiah, we see that he asked. But then notice verses 3 and 4. It says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. He listened. Do you see what it says? And they said unto me, They said unto me. How many times are we guilty 
Our wife will tell us something and we really don't listen. Woo! I can raise both hands. My wife will tell you right quick. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says in the end times that perilous times are going to come. You know, that things are going to get darker. Things are going to get more intense. Things are going to come quicker. So what does that mean? That our time is drawing near to the return of our Savior. If anything, we need to be in the game. It's in the ninth inning. I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. But what I do know is this, there's work to be done. And all of God's people should be saying, Amen. But what do you want to do? Do you want to be a difference maker or you just simply want to be indifferent? Because if you're saved, if, you're, if you've got your salvation... You can, you can probably slide into heaven, but oh, the day that you have to give an account. But if we're really going to be obedient to God's Word, when we listen to what His Word says, He has given us a commission and a commandment to be a light and salt in a world that has gone astray. Now, I still believe in a revival. I still believe in the power of God. I still believe that there will come a time when people will be looking for answers. And the church should be burning ablaze with the hope of Jesus Christ. And we should all be ready to give an account and to tell them the hope that lies within us. You know, Nehemiah, he went through a period of weeping when he heard the words. He saw the affliction. He heard those words, great affliction and reproach. And when you think about those words, the first word I wrote down was remnant. Remnant to me means there's something left. There's a possibility of something happening. They were not completely desolated. There was still somebody there. So there was a remnant. And then there was great affliction. There was a lot of hurt. And Nehemiah heard that. He also heard the word reproach. Reproach means to be belittled or talked down or talked scornly to. This world has been scorned by a lot of religious people. You know, our churches need to be open and receptive. Our churches need to be loving. Our churches need to realize that we're called to show the love of Christ. Now that doesn't matter who comes through the doors. White, black, problems, whatever they may be. Our word is to tell them about Jesus Christ and to love them. God says to love Him supremely and then love our neighbor as ourselves. That's hard for us. I don't, I don't mind telling you, I, I have a difficulty relating to people that are not like me. But that's what we're called to do. So Nehemiah, he heard all of these things and he realized that somebody had to do something. He realized that he was the one. Because notice when he says in verse 4, he said, And it came to pass, I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned certain days and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. He sat down, he evaluated what he had heard. You know, I've, I've given you a lot of information tonight, statistics and articles and other things. But Jesus said, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether... He has sufficient to finish it. The first thing that we have to do is take an honest evaluation. You know, we're quick to complain about things. The state of the world, the state of the church. But are we willing to do anything about it? That's the question. 
You know, we can be difference makers or we can be indifferent. And I want to tell you, church, just being real honest, and I'm not doing anything to build Bo up or anything, this man can't do it by himself. He needs a group of men, strong men behind him. He needs a group of men that's on their knees every day praying for this man and his family, his wife. You know, our wives get left out a lot of times. They're behind the scenes. You don't see all that they put up with. But I want to tell you, this man's under a burden. Because when God lays a burden upon your heart, it's not a burden that you can lay down and walk away from. Because God won't let you rest. I had no desire to be in the ministry. None at all. I was perfectly content listening to my pastor at El Bethel preach week after week after week. Teach a Sunday school class every now and then. Do those things. But God wouldn't let the burden rest. I realized that there were people that were in great affliction. There were people that were hurting. There were people in leadership that had no defense. And you may be a person that's a banker. You may be a person that's in a co-op. You may be a construction worker. Whatever your profession is, you need to be shining Jesus Christ. You need to be that light. You need to be that person that is praying. And I know we, we fight a lot of obstacles. You know, our school systems don't want God in there. But you can pray before you get there. That somehow, some way, God would open a door for you to minister into the life of a child some way, some form, some fashion. It may simply be fixing them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for a child that don't have anything. And as they leave, tell them that you love them. Tell them that you know somebody that loves them. If you have to walk across the road off the school campus after hours to do it, do it. Because the one that's in heaven sees what you do. Make a difference where you're at. That's what Nehemiah did. He sat down and he evaluated all of those things. But yet this wasn't some just casual sit down before God. Notice that he came and when he heard these words it says that he wept. When is the last time our altars were full of tears from people crying for a lost world that's going to hell? Sunday after Sunday many times we hear the messages and we say, Ooh, Bo preached his heart out today. It was good. And we leave and there's not a person at the altar. And all the, all the while the world outside is dying. That's hard to hear, isn't it? Are we going to be fishers of men or are we going to be keepers of the aquarium? You know, Nehemiah, he got down with God. I mean, he wept before God, and it says he mourned certain days. And I think that certain days is in the text for a reason. Mourning should happen for a period, but then you've got to move on. David lost a child, and he mourned and wept and fasted. But then he got up, and he cleaned himself up, and he went forward. He acknowledged his sin. He knew he was wrong. He knew God had punished him for the sin that he had committed. But yet he got up and he cleaned himself up and he rejoiced in who God was. He knew God was full of mercy. He knew God was full of grace. And he knew that he was a God that loved him. And that he was patient and kind and long-suffering. And he went forward. He prayed. I can't overemphasize enough the power of prayer. Twelve times in this book you see Nehemiah pray. He prayed and he sought God's help and God's intervention. But yet he made himself available. As he wept and as he prayed, he prayed before the God of heaven. He knew God was majestic. 
He knew God was all-powerful. He knew God was sovereign in all things. And so he knew there wasn't any problem out there that was too great for God. You know, a lot of people don't serve God because they feel like they're unworthy. There's a verse in the Bible, Acts 13, I think it's 46, that they deem themselves unworthy, the Jews. That's a lie from Satan. What you're saying that my sin won't let me serve God, you're saying your sin is bigger than the cross of Christ. There's not a sin that you've committed that God can't forgive. But when He forgives that sin, He calls you to be a child of His. He puts you on a path of righteousness, a path of holiness, a path to be used by Him. You know what? I'm going to have a little Bible trivia. Acts chapter 9, when Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ, what was the two questions Paul asked? He said, who are you, Lord? And what would you have me to do? There wasn't anything else in the blanks. He just wanted to know who God was and what God wanted him to do. You know what we need to do is say, God, if we're born again, if we know God, the only question we have a right to ask is, God, what would you have me to do? But we come to God with conditions. God, I'll serve you if. God, I'll do this if. God's not looking to be conditionally tied in any way to you. He created you. He put breath in your body. What He's looking for is a blank check with your name on it that He can cash any time He desires. Now that's hard. Tuesday night, I'm going to talk about when life comes crashing down. And if you know somebody that's hurting, that needs to be here, you bring them. Because God's going to bless. But he sat down. He knew that he needed to do what God wanted him to do. So in verse 5 he says, And I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth the covenant of mercy for them that love him and obey his commandments. And then he goes on, he says, let thine ear now be attentive. It's a persistent prayer. Do you see? He says, let your eyes be opened, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servants, which I pray before thee now night and day. He's praying consistently, persistently. He wants God to intervene in the midst of all of that. All the problems, and him 800 miles away. And he's praying, he's saying, God, I need your help. And if you study, if you go on into chapter 2, he did that for about four to five months before he ever went to Jerusalem. He prayed and he fasted and he wept and he asked God for intervention. He asked God for help. But then he got into confession. And he says, he says, I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house. So he, he didn't exclude himself from the problem. I, as a pastor, do not exclude myself from the problem. I enjoy comfort. I don't like to be stretched. I don't like to go through problems, controversy. But if you serve God, you're going to get into all of that. But you've got to remember who God is. You're just the vessel. And so God called him out, but he confessed quickly. And what was the sins of the people? If you go over to chapter 9 and verses 16 and 17, it tells you that the fathers had turned their back on God. They had become disobedient. They had become hard-hearted. 
They wanted to do their own thing the way that they wanted to do it. They got into pagan worship. They got into other things. They just simply turned their back on God. And as a result, God brought judgment. You know, today, we deal with a lot of the same things. Comfort, complacency, pride, unconcern for neighbors, unconcern for the world. You know, I've got mine, so why bother? Anybody else? I just got mine. You know, that's kind of the mentality that we have. But then he moves on. He says, in verse 7, he says, We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. But now, look at what he says in verse 8. He says, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. He says, But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by thy strong hand. And he says in verse 11, he says, I beseech thee, let thy ear now be attentive. Here's his personal engagement. How did he approach God? He approached Him humbly. He started off by saying, God, I have sinned. God, my fathers have sinned. God, I've enjoyed a place of comfort while others were hurting. God, I I have heard of the reproach and the shame and all the things that is going on over there, God. And I've been over here living in the King's presence. And now... He surrenders himself to God. He says, I beseech thee. He approached and he asked God for mercy. He presented himself as a servant to be used. He trusted in the mercy and the provision of God to make the difference. And church, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it doesn't matter who the preacher is in the pulpit. He can't make the difference. It's going to take Almighty God, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to change the things that are going on in this world. You want revival... You better be praying for God to come. You better be praying for God's Spirit to get a hold of this whole place. All of our churches collectively. You know, God gave us His Word for a reason. To be read and studied. To teach us who He is. To show us the path. And what did God say? 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. But what does the next verse say? Most people can't tell you verse 15. Verse 15 says, Now my eyes shall be open, and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. God says, if my people get to a place of prayer, if my people get to a place of humbleness, if my people get to a place of repentance, if my people get to a place of wanting me to work, I'm there but I'm listening. Do you want to be a difference maker? Do you want God to intervene? Do you want God to work? This man wants God to work. I know his heart. And I pray that this congregation wants God to work. I'm praying for revival. 
Not just at Cedar Street. I'm praying for a collective. All of our churches, all of our body to come alive. I believe in the Holy Spirit and its power. You take 120 people in prayer in an upper room and they pray and the Holy Spirit falls, it can happen today, but you got to want it. you got to decide what's going to be your priority. You can live in comfort or you can come out and seek God. And I'm not going to tell you that when He calls you out, you're going to a place of comfort. Your nose might get bloody, your elbows and your knees torn up, but I can tell you God is faithful and He'll equip you to meet and do whatever He calls you to do. Now we come to invitation time. We come to a place where every person has an opportunity to pray. I'm just simply going to extend the invitation. Jody, if you're ready, you're Miss Dana. If y'all want to come and pray, I'm just going. I'm going to simply come down and I'm just going. I'm just going to bow my head and say a short prayer, and then I'm going to turn it over to Bo. And I'm just going to let Bo come and and just close out the service as he wants. But let's bow together in prayer. Father, what a privilege and an honor it is to preach your word. And God, I come tonight, God, realizing that tonight, God, this is your people in your house, God, coming before you. And God, we, we just simply come as humbly as we know how. God, you're faithful. You're not obligated to do anything. God, I realize that because you're God. But God, I come just pouring my heart out, just praying, God, that you would move in the midst of this people and this time and this week. But God, I don't pray a selfish prayer. God, I'm not praying just for Cedar Street. God, I'm praying for every church where your Bible is taught, your word is, is proclaimed, and Jesus Christ is high and lifted up. And God, I just pray that our churches come alive. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to move and and just do what only you can do. God, we've got so many problems, but God, we realize you're far greater than any problem that we have. So God, we seek you. We seek your intervention. We seek your hand upon this body. And God, may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.